One out of 44 adults. One in 16 African Americans. According to the Sensling Project, this is how many Americans cannot vote in the past election due to a past felony conviction. Over the past 25 years, a lot of states have changed laws and practices to expand voting access to people with past convictions. Despite these reforms, 5.2 million Americans remain disenfranchised, or 2.3% of the voting age population, disproportionately affecting African Americans. So, if the purpose of our criminal justice system is to protect citizens, but also aid those who commit crimes and rehabilitation after, why is voting rights not restored once those convicted of felonies have completed their time? My name is Tyler Ward. It is December 8, 2020, and I'm recording this from my home in Albert, Alabama. Today, we will spend some time talking about felony disenfranchisement, specifically if racism plays a factor. Disenfranchisement is the state of being deprived of a right or privilege, especially the right to vote, according to Oxford Languages. Felony disenfranchisement refers to those who have been convicted of a felony and therefore have lost their right to vote in different states. In order to understand the root of disenfranchisement, we have to travel all the way back to 1100 BC. In Athens and other Greek city-states, the status of a tema, which means literally without honor, honor, was a form of disenfranchisement imposed upon criminal offenders. This led America to developing the concept of civil death, a punishment of conviction of treason or a felony because the person committing a, a crime had corrupt blood, making the person dead in the law. But it's important to understand that America did not immediately adopt this position because the Constitution was silent on voting rights and neither granted or denied anyone the right to vote. There are two things to look at in the conversation of felony disenfranchisement. The first ones are felony themselves. Mass incarceration plays a big role in felony disenfranchisement. To look at how mass incarceration started, we have to go back to the war on drugs. The year is 1971. The date is June 17th. President Nixon has just wrapped up a bipartisan meeting and he's intending on announcing his findings to the public. So, less than 30 seconds into the speech, he decides to declare his famous words. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage an all-new-out offensive. This offensive will go on to cost the United States over $1 trillion. The reason that this is important is because the Bureau of Justice Statistics shows that only 18% of all felony convictions were for a violent crime which means that most felony convictions came from either property crimes or uh, drug crimes, which is related to the war on drugs that President Nixon declared. All of this shows that African Americans have been disproportionately affected concerning the criminal justice system. And as long as African Americans are disproportionately affected with the criminal justice system, they're gonna be disproportionately affected with disenfranchisement as well. So for example, Today, Black Americans are not only four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana charges than their white peers, but they also make up nearly 30% of all drug-related arrests, despite accounting for only 12.5% of all substance users, according to the NAACP. This is just one of the many examples of how the way that we view crime and criminals would impact our criminal justice system, predominantly and disproportionately affecting African Americans. And though these numbers are staggering, 
the prison system has a higher incarceration rate in, in the United States than it does in so many of our competing and developing countries. So, in 1787, the Constitution considered Black people as three-fifths of human beings, and so Black voting was not really an issue. But then came the Civil War and the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, where enslaved people became illegal, birthright U.S. citizenship was exp explicitly included free enslaved people, um, Black men got the right to vote, over 2,000 Black men were elected to government offices, and they were even able to begin purchasing uh, property or even start voting. And so, because of that, America responded. And so, in the 13th Amendment, it says that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude was legal, except as a punishment for a crime. And so, this, along with Black codes, and Black codes were just restrictive laws that were designed to limit the freedom of African Americans and make sure that their availability as a cheap labor force after slavery was still there. And so, by 1850, 2% of prisoners in Alabama were were white. By 1870, it was 74%. At least 90% of the least prison laborers were black. And so between the 15 years between 1865 and 1880, at least 13 states enacted broad felony disenfranchisement law, and it became obvious that the goal of these laws was to just convict African Americans of a crime, strip away their right to vote, imprison them, and make it to where they could be as close to slavery as possible. And this wasn't just a broad idea or an opinion. It was proven by the way that legislators reacted to these different constitutions and amendments. For example, in 1901, Alabama amended its constitutions to expand disenfranchisement to include all crimes involving moral turpitude, which is such a vague term, but it was mostly used and applied to felonies and misdemeanors. When the president who wrote this constitution, the president of that constitutional convention, he argued that the ballot was made to exclude black people, and it was justified because of the need to avoid the menace of Negro domination, especially since blacks were inferior to whites. And so you may ask yourself, what kind of effect did this have on anything today? This was so long ago. Well, black Americans are now four times more likely to lose their voting rights than the rest of the adult population. Out of every 13, one out of every 16 black Americans is disenfranchised. And in some states, like Virginia, like Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, even Alabama, one in five black people are disenfranchised. Until recently, this also included Florida, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It is also no coincidence that the two states in the country that allow people in prison to vote are Vermont and Maine, the two whitest states in the entire country. A 2003 study found that the larger the state's black population, the more likely the state was to pass very stringent uh, laws that permanently denied people convicted of crimes the right to vote. And so as much as disenfranchisement affects African Americans uh, so much, affects Americans so much, it shows that it affects African Americans even more. A lot of Americans are fighting a back against the idea of felony disenfranchisement. One of these happens to be the Sanders Institute. The mission of the Sanders Institute is to revitalize democracy by actively engaging individuals, organizations, and the media in the pursuit of progressive solutions to economic, environmental, racial, and social justice issues. The following clip is former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner speaking on behalf of the Sanders Institute when it comes to felony disenfranchisement. 
I'm Senator Nina Turner, and I think every American citizen deserves a voice in their government. But because of unfair, outdated, or just plain stupid voting rules and practices, millions of citizens each year go uncounted, unheard, and unrepresented. Here's an example, felon disenfranchisement. Let's say you have a coworker named Joe. He's a good guy and does his work without any fuss. His kids play soccer with your kids. But back when Joe was in college, he was arrested and convicted of a felony. He spent a year in jail and six months on probation. That was years ago. Joe now sits next to you at work every day. But when you leave to vote, he can't come along. Thanks to felon disenfranchisement laws, 6.1 million Americans, many who have paid their debt to society, are not allowed to vote. And to make things worse, laws vary by state, where state legislatures and governors can decide who can vote and who can't. To me, that sounds a little too much like politicians getting to select their own voters. So what can we do? Three things. Number one, no matter what state you live in, research the rules. Number two, vote. And number three, share this story. Talk about this issue. And together, we can make America the democracy it should be. I'm Senator Nina Turner. Thank you for watching. The fact of the matter is this. Felony disenfranchisement is rooted in racism. And until we're able to acknowledge that racism and acknowledge where we come from and the reason that we have these felony disenfranchisements, until we're able to do both, A, acknowledge that felonies are disproportionately affecting African Americans, whether that's our criminal justice system or whatever that looks like, and B, to acknowledge that disenfranchisement is also disproportionately affecting African Americans. In order to do that, we have to understand and realize where our history comes from. Until we realize that the history and the tradition of felony disenfranchisement was built on white supremacy, it will always be around and black Americans will forever be impacted. I hope you learned something. Thank you for listening and have a good day.